Thank you, Marchant and students. And also, this is the time when the students, the youth and the children are dismissed. And everybody's so surprised that I remembered to do it before I started to pray. <clears throat> so while they're leaving, um, some of you, who, if you got here before we actually got started today, there was a video running. Uh, it's by a group called Empty Hands, and it was called Planting Seeds. Uh, we're going to sing the refrain when we leave today. but. Um, for those of you who've been here for our series on the parables, you know that last week we talked about the parable of the sower uh, out of the Gospel of Matthew. It was, it's a parable that's in Matthew, Mark, and um, Luke. Uh, and in Matthew, Jesus goes out of the house, and then he tells a story about a sower who goes out into the world, and that sower is just generously sowing seeds. Some of it falls on soil that grows, some doesn't. Uh, can you put up our picture with the sermon title? Um, so I don't know if you can really see this, but I, I received this picture during COVID. Uh, someone was living at my house here in Atlanta, and I was in um, Maine, and she said, oh, you, the flowers you planted are gorgeous. And I said, I didn't plant those before we left. Th literally, they had been seeds that I had planted like I couldn't remember if it was a year before or two years before, but all of a sudden they came up these beautiful flowers. So again, this is hearkening back to last week's parable. We sow seeds, we have no idea. We have no idea what kind of soil they're falling on. Our call is to sow. So uh, today we are going to look at the fourth chapter of Mark's gospel. And this little parable is very short. It comes right after Mark's version of the same parable we read last week, the sower who goes out and sows. This is only in Mark's gospel. So it's, it's an interesting one. And I want to just say something before I pray and read this. Um, I know I said this last week. Thank you. I, I have, you. It's hard for me to describe how wonderful it is to, to dive into these scriptures uh, somebody in our tradition, John Calvin, a theologian, once said, the preacher is one sinner to whom the word of God comes, and then they share it with others. One broken human being receiving the word of God, sharing it with others. And these uh, preparations um, for these sermons has been so good for my soul. Uh, one of my mantras is, creativity is subtraction. I'm not sure I subtracted enough this week. I'll try not to go too long, but there's so much good stuff on this parable. There is a month of Sundays worth of sermons in this one short parable. I hope I'm only gonna share one of those Sundays. All right, let's, uh, let's pray. Gracious God, we come before you believing that this word is your seed of life to be planted in our souls today. Thank you. Thank you for the gift of breath in our lungs, for the gift of community, for the gift of these life-giving words by the power of your Holy Spirit. May they take root and grow in our lives. We pray in Christ's name. Mark 4, 26 to 29. Jesus said, this is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seed on the ground. Night and day, 
whether he sleeps or gets up. The seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. All by itself, the soil produces grain. First the stalk, then the head, then the full kernel in the head. As soon as the grain is ripe, the man puts the sickle to it, because the harvest has come. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So, I have such a nostalgia when I see Connor up here because I have two grown sons who are now six, six and six, five, something like that, which one of them has been that tall since he was a teenager. And that's like Connor. I mean, he's like two heads above everybody. But one of the things that used to happen when my boys were Connor's age is that when we would see somebody we hadn't seen in a while, they would gasp, oh my gosh, you've grown, you know, and they'd get slapped on the back. And, and then people would oftentimes turn to me and say, what are you feeding these guys? Now, they didn't actually really want my grocery list. They didn't want my weekly menus. But you know what they meant, right? I mean, you have to feed human beings in order for them to grow. But at the end of the day, their growth is a mystery. I couldn't make my boys grow. I fed them, and they grew. Now, this is the essence of this parable. Growth is a mystery. Life is a mystery. Now, I'm not a gardener, but I want to introduce you to, um, can we put the first um, slide up there? This is my friend, Esme, who was going to be here today, but uh, things didn't work out. I don't know if you can see that very well. Esme is a, has worked on an organic farm in Maine. That is where I met her. I met her at this farm stand, which is gorgeous. Uh, can, you got the second slide there? Uh, but between being out in the field and this, having this great crop, it starts with the planting, the sowing. That's the next picture. Yeah. Well, that's the reaping. Can you see the carrots there? I don't know if the, anyway. The, but there's a picture of them uh, planting. Anyway, I called Esme to work on this, and I said, now, Esme, tell me about organic farming. Tell me, you know, because I'm preaching about sowing seeds and, and reaping a harvest and everything, and it couldn't have been scripted any better. Honestly, I asked her. I said, so I know, like, you guys plant and then you harvest. Like, what happens in between? And she said, well, you know, there's watering and, and all that. But she said, mostly, we let the earth do her thing. It's a mystery. We do our part. We put the seeds in the ground. We water. But the earth, that's this, this passage here. There's a sermon by Barbara Brown Taylor entitled, The Automatic Earth. 
because that's the, that's the word. It's automatas, which like, this just happens. The earth regenerates. And Esme started telling me about this new uh, phase in certain like really extreme organic farming circles, which is called, um, it's regenerative farming. And uh, some of it is no-till farming. Because what they're discovering is that like the earth, when we till it, sometimes we're just breaking up all the life that is teeming in there. She said, there's even some people who do no-dig farming. They literally, like our parable, just throw the seed on the ground. And they're getting harvest. But here's the deal. Between the sowing and the reaping is the sleeping. The part where we acknowledge we do not control the growth. And daggone it, that is hard for us, isn't it? That is hard for us type A's. To really lean into that. We're an anxious culture. And it gets reflected in our teenagers, by the way. I mean, they're so beautiful standing up here. But do you know what? Statistically speaking, they are under enormous pressure. And you can say, well, no, it's all privileged pressure and all that. True. But there's an article in the Atlantic titled, Our American Teenage Girls Are Not Okay. PBS has put out a documentary, Try Harder, and it's uh, following some high school seniors in a church on the, in a school on the West Coast. And it describes grind culture where kids feel guilty unless every moment is productive. Where do you think they got that idea? Grind culture is alive and well with us adults too, isn't it? This beautiful image in this passage of the farmer sleeping. So the seeds go to sleep. There's all, I mean, I read one article where the title was this. Sleep problems may cause more damage than terrorism. Sleep on that. Talking about sleep deprivation in our culture, chronic sleep disorders, it is hard for us to relax. You know, in the ancient world, sleep was considered practicing death, not in a morbid way, in just a very real way. <clears throat> By the way, we all will end. Will we trust God? Sleeping was a, was a practice every night, an ultimate act of trust. You suspend control when you go to sleep. Just a couple chapters down in Mark, read Mark this week. 
Jesus in the boat, the storm whips up, the disciples are anxious, and where, does anybody remember where Jesus was? Sleeping. So it's this metaphor for ultimate trust in God. Not being so attached to an outcome that we cannot sleep. Paul talks about it this way, Apollos, I planted Apollos waters, but God causes the growth. This, this little uh, butcher paper over here is, is a timeline of all the people who have planted seeds in Kairos Church. Some of them we don't know anymore. They aren't known to us, but God takes what everybody gives and God causes the growth. That is the trust that comes. The interesting thing also about this passage is that it says night and day. It doesn't say day and night. Now, for the first hearers of this, this would be a hearkening back to the Genesis story. Night and day. That's how the days are described. That's how the creation narrative goes. Night and day and the first day. Night and day. We think the day starts when we wake up and get productive, but that is not true. The day starts at night while God is working and we are sleeping. That small shift in perspective might just change us. And that night and day rhythm takes us to the practice of Sabbath. That planting, sleeping, harvesting. That is the rhythm of the Sabbath. Work, rest, work, rest. That kind of rhythm. Now, I am not talking about being legalistic about the Sabbath. But I am saying that the scriptures call us to a life of holy rhythm where we acknowledge that we are not in control of everything. Some things are not in our control. And we stop. And we rest. And we restore and we reconnect. I saw a New Yorker comic this week where there were aliens hovering over the earth and the, there were two drivers in the alien ship and everybody down there was, you know, walking along looking on their phones and the um, one driver of the alien ship says to the other, I told you don't worry about it, they never look up. Now, Abraham Heschel is a rabbi who says, you know, look, talking about Sabbath, we're never going to, the, the point is not to uh, end our, our relationship with technology. The point is for us not to be dependent on it. To have moments when we look away, not just from our phone, but our work and our worries. The, the, the Jewish uh, 
Sabbath prayer begins, days pass, years vanish, but we walk sightless among miracles. And the prayer is that in this Sabbath, in this ceasing, in this stopping, that our eyes would be open again to see that every common bush is aflame with God, as Elizabeth Barrett Browning said. There's a young woman here in uh, a, a graduate of Candler Theological Seminary who has started a ministry she calls the Nap Ministry. I think I'm going to join. But she has developed a, a theology of rest as resistance, particularly for those who are marginalized. Go read the Ten Commandments in both Exodus and Deuteronomy this week. Who's supposed to rest on the Sabbath? You. Anybody who works for you. All your children. And the immigrants in your midst. We ought to care that every human being can develop a rhythm of work and rest in their lives. So what is this holy rhythm? I want to close with this. I used to use the metaphor of balance. It's a big thing, right? Life, work, balance, blah, blah, blah. And years ago, I was at an Oconee Leadership, I lived in Athens, retreat. And as you know, you did all these bonding uh, exercises. And the whole group, I don't know how many of us there were, 30, 40, got on a really big seesaw. Have you ever seen these things? It was like huge. So we all got on there and the, the point was to try to make it even. So, you know, we moved people around and we got them, you know. And finally it was perfectly even and it was like, don't anybody breathe. And I had this epiphany, like, that's what, that's what trying to achieve balance in my life, it's us taking this notion of, like, holy rhythm and saying, how can I work at it? And the more I worked at it, the more precarious it was. So I traded in, partly I liked a metaphor that I could achieve. <laughs> so I said, I'm in search of another metaphor. What if it's rhythm? What if it's something about the Sabbath rhythm that's more like a heartbeat or the tide? It's something I listen for. It's something I enter into. So I remember going to my music director at the time, because I'm not really a music person, and I said, Jenny, what actually is the definition of rhythm? And Jenny said this, it's how sounds and silence fall through time in a pattern. It's regular intervals of sound and silence. It's that steady beat. It's the part of the music you feel, the part that makes you dance. That is what Sabbath rhythm is about. The sow, sleep, reap rhythm. And the telltale sign that we are living in holy Sabbath rhythm is not that we are more productive, 
but rather that there is joy and wonder in our lives and we are dancing, not grinding.